this morning, if you will meet me in the book of John chapter 19, John chapter 19, we continue our series, um, The Real Jesus, and then our series within the series, Seven Portraits of Jesus from the Cross. During the crucifixion, Jesus spoke seven times. And so we arrive this morning at the third of those seven sayings. And so this morning I've tagged the text a portrayal of affection. A portrayal of, of affection. We're going to look at just two verses in John's gospel, verse 25 and 26. And so let's look at those together. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, by the way, that's John. Standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Four truths this morning from this portrait of affection. Truth number one is Jesus portrays parental honoring. Jesus portrays parental honoring. On the cross, we behold his tender care for his mother. And in this, we have the pattern of Jesus Christ presented to all children for their imitation. The words which the finger of God engraved on the two stones, on the two tablets of stone, have never been repealed. They are in force as long as the earth lasts. The words are found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and they are reiterated in, Paul, in Paul's writings to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and 3. See if these words do not sound familiar to you this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The commandment for children to honor their parents goes far beyond a bare obedience to this express will. It embraces love, affection, gratitude, and dare I say, respect. It is too often assumed that this fifth commandment is addressed to young folks only. Nothing can be further from the truth. It is often asked as to the extent of one's honoring obligation. Jesus is our perfect example in that he honors his mother even in manhood demonstrating to us that its continuance is throughout our life. During his early years, the boy Jesus was under the control of Mary, his mother, 
and Joseph his father. And that's beautifully displayed in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Take note of this verse. And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. The king of kings doesn't merely instruct parental honoring. He illustrates it from beginning to end. On the cross, Christ reminds us that parental honor never ends, though the years of, though the years of obedience have ended. So did you get that? Honoring never ends, though obedience does come to an end. In the last hours of his human life, amid the suffering, the Lord Jesus thought of his beloved mother's future, future need by committing her to the care of that disciple who most deeply understood his love. Permit me a brief moment of inquisition and exhortation this morning. For those who are adults and your parents are still living, here's my question. How are you treating them? Are you truly honoring them? Does this example of Christ on the cross motivate you to do better? It may be that you're young and vigorous and your parents are gray-headed and infirm. But I want you to hear the Holy Spirit this morning concerning your parents. Look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. It may be that you're rich and they are poor. Then fail not to make provision for them. It may be they live in a distant state or land. Then, then do not neglect to write them or email them or FaceTime them or text them. Words of appreciation and cheer that would brighten their day. Listen, this is our sacred duty. Honor thy father and thy mother. Second truth I want you to see from this portrait of Jesus on the cross is I want you to see the portrait uh, of that John is a portrait of preserving grace. John is a portrait of preserving grace. Christ's, Christ's suffering at the hand of God was expected. Despised and rejected by his own was no doubt difficult, but forsaken by the eleven in his hour of crisis, no doubt cut deep. Listen to Matthew 26, 56. But all of this has taken place that, scripture, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. How could they, after all the miracles, how could they forsake him in his time of need? But before we get on our soapbox and begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, let us remember the bitter taste of our fleeting from Christ in our own hearts. How feeble has our own faith been at times? How many have utterly failed, of us have utterly failed in our hour of trial and testing? 
But for the grace of God, the exact same satanic device that was sufficient to overturn the disciples is sufficient to overturn us. Let the restraining and upholding power of God be withdrawn from us, and let's see how long we will stand. The Lord Jesus had solemnly warned his disciples of their approaching cowardness. Look at Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all, all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Not only Peter, but all the disciples affirmed their determination to stand by him. Sometimes we think only Peter pulled Jesus aside. But look at uh, Matthew 26, 35. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Nevertheless, his word proved true and they all deserted him. Their sinful flight exposed the Lord Jesus to the contempt and scoffs of his enemies. It was because of this that John 18, 19 is written. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. You see, it is not difficult to fill in the blanks. Doubtless Caiaphas inquired how many disciples he had and what had become of them now and what was the reason they had forsaken their master and left him to fend for himself during this most dangerous time. But observe his response. The Savior replied, By saying nothing. He would not accuse them to the common enemy, though they had deserted him. Think about that for a moment. What would you have done had you been deserted by all of your friends? How would you have responded to your accusers when asked, Where are those guys that once followed you? Where were those guys that, that went from town to town and city to city and place to place? The men that you have spent the last three and a half, three, the last three years of your life with, where are they now? Many of us would have talked about how sorry they were and that you couldn't believe that after all that you had done and that after all that they had seen, how could they abandon me in such an hour? But Jesus is unlike us in so many ways that in an hour where he is in question about the desertion of his disciples, Jesus says nothing derogatory about them. They forsook him. Matthew 26, 31 says, Jesus said, you'll all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. They deemed it no longer safe to remain with him. As he gave himself up, they sought to take refuge from the present storm which had overtaken him. Their forsaking of Christ was due to the suspension of God's preserving and upholding grace. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to what I'm about to say in the next few sentences, because this is imperative for you to get this morning. You see, this was the first and the only time that they had ever forsaken Christ. How could it be that they had gone three years with him 
and had never forsaken him until this moment. They would not have done so now had there been influences of power and zeal and love from heaven upon them. Had they stayed, he wouldn't have fulfilled Scripture in that he was to tread out the winepress and bear sin and sorrow alone. Christ was to have the least relief or comfort from any creature so that he might be left alone to grapple with the wrath of God and man. It was the Lord who withheld his strengthening influences from them. And they were as weak as other men. Paul says in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, he says these words, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. If his power is withheld, our resolve will surely melt away before temptation like snow before the sun. If you're walking with the Lord this morning, truly walking with the Lord, there's not but one explanation for that. It is that the strengthening influences of heaven are upon you. If you walk with the Lord tomorrow and the next day and the next day and you walk with Him to the end, trust me, you will walk with Him to the end only because His strengthening influence continued on you. But trust me, if God were to remove that strengthening influence for even one moment, we would fall away fast. You see, Jesus had removed this influence from his disciples. Why? So that what had been prophesied could be completed. Because no doubt had the Lord's power and strength remained on them, they would have fought and defended their Lord. Let us take heart in that their cowardice and infidelity was only temporary. Listen to what Scripture records of these men after the resurrection in Matthew 28, 16. Now the eleven went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. One comforting note in this scene of abandonment is realizing that one of the eleven did seek him out before he rose in triumph from the tomb. He sought him while he hung on the cross of shame. We find John, the one whom Jesus loved, standing at the foot of the cross. John had returned to the Savior's side and there receives from him this blessed commission. Let me give you a brief word of exhortation as we finish this second point. Is there one or more here today that has wandered from the Savior's side? Who is no longer enjoying sweet communion with him? Perhaps in the hour of trial, you denied him. Perhaps in the time of testing, you have failed. You have given more thought to your own interests than his. May the arrow of conviction pierce your conscience. May divine grace melt your heart. May the power of God draw you back to Christ 
where alone your soul can find satisfaction and peace. But here is encouragement for you. Listen, Christ did not rebuke John at the cross for his abandonment, but bestowed on him an unspeakable privilege. Wanderer, return to Christ at once. And guess what? He will greet you with a word of welcome and cheer. And who knows what wondrous commission awaits you? Come home. Come home. There's no word of chastisement awaiting you. But there is a father who is ready to run to you and meet you. A father who is ready to commission you because he has not done with you. Third truth this morning. We are never pardoned from our duty of caring for our own, for our flesh and blood. The Lord Jesus was dying a savior for sinners. He was engaged in the most momentous, momentous and the most stupendous undertaking that this earth has ever or has ever will witness. He was on the point of offering satisfaction to the outraged justice of God. He was about to do the work for which the world had been made, for which the human race had been created, for which all the ages had waited, and for which he, the eternal word, had become God in the flesh. Nevertheless, he does not overlook the responsibilities of a son to his widowed mother. He assures provision for her. It is as as if Jesus was preparing his will and executing it right on the spot. This oral statement made in front of witnesses is now binding. He knew he couldn't take care of her any longer, and so he entrusted her to who? John. In those days, there was no Social Security or pension plans. She was a widow since Jesus is the oldest son. He was responsible to take care of his mother in her old age. Jesus is fulfilling the most basic and sacred obligation that any son had had by living out, as I said earlier, this fifth commandment. Even while performing redemption, Jesus was faithful to his responsibilities as a son. There's a lesson here which many of us need to take to heart today. No duty, no work, however important, may be, how important it may be, can excuse us from discharging the obligation of caring for those who have fleshly claims upon us. Can I say that to you again? However important it may be, there is no work or no duty that can excuse us from discharging the obligations of caring for those who have fleshly claim upon us. There's no calling of our Lord that tells us to forsake our wives or our children. There's those who sacrifice family on the altar of ministry are not following the Savior. Yes, Christ commands that we forsake all and follow Him. 
However, Jesus never tells us to forsake our wives or forsake our children. Jesus never, uh, our greatest ministry work is to fulfill our obligation to those who have fleshly claim upon us. Can I tell you what Paul would say in the New Testament? He says, someone that will not care for his own family is worse than an infidel. Lastly, Jesus' words to Mary confirm a planetary need. I wanted to use the word universal, but I had three Ps, and it just didn't make sense to not have four Ps. So planetary and universal all get to the same point. How different is the Mary of Scripture from the Mary of superstition? Like each of us, She's a member of a fallen race. She's a sinner by nature and by practice. Though I have many Catholic friends, uh, Catholicism has totally botched Mary. And at the death of the Lord Jesus, she is found before the cross. The Word of God presents not the mother of Jesus, but as one who rejoiced in a Savior And that is why Jesus called her woman. Did you notice that? He didn't call her mother. He called her woman. You know what's very interesting about Jesus? The first words of Jesus' ministry and the last words of his ministry spoken to his mother. Do you remember his first ministry event? Of course you don't. You're Baptist. Y'all don't drink wine, right? Or some of you don't. He turns water into wine. And his mother comes to him and is like, hey, they've run out of wine. You need to do something about this. And he says, what? Woman. And here at the end, he speaks to his mother again, but he does not address her as mother. He addresses her as woman. Jesus' use of woman was not a term of disrespect, but separation. Actually, this word should be better translated, dear woman. Not just woman, but dear woman. He is reinforcing their familial familial distinction. He was a heavenly son and she was an earthly mother. It is true she is blessed among women, not blessed above women, but blessed among women, yet she was human and a member of the fallen race, a sinner who needed a Savior. There, summed up in a single word, is expressed the need of every descendant of Adam. What word, Brother Jason? It's the word behold. Behold, woman, behold. To look by faith to the Savior that died for sinners. That's what we're commanded to do. There's a divine... This is the divine way of salvation. Deliverance from the wrath to come, forgiveness of sin, acceptance with God is obtained not by merit, good works, or religious practice. No salvation comes from beholding the Savior. What did John say when he saw Jesus? Behold, what? 
the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Just as a serpent bitten Israelites in the wilderness were healed by a look, by a look at that which the God of salvation had appointed to be the object of their faith, so today redemption from the guilt and power of sin, emancipation from the curse, and freedom from the captivity of Satan is found by faith alone in Christ. Listen to John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 in closing this morning. Jesus said these words concerning salvation. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now watch. That whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here's the key. So we got one more verse? That's it? I left out the other verse. That the Son of Man may be lifted up. Why? So that he may draw all men unto himself. You see... Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great British pastor, woke up one morning, headed to church, but he couldn't get to his church. And he couldn't get to his church because there had been a great snow the night before. So he walked as far as he could, and he, he, he ducked into this little Methodist church. And the, the Methodist pastor couldn't make it that morning. Isn't it funny that the great Baptist preacher was saved by in, in a Methodist church? But the Methodist pastor got up, or the Methodist uh, a preacher got up that morning. He was but a layman in the church. And he, he read from the Old Testament, look unto the Lord for salvation. And Spurgeon says in his biography that he was a terrible preacher. That all he could say in his short and abbreviated sermon over and over and over again was the passage from the Old Testament, the admonition from the prophet to look unto the Lord for salvation. And Spurgeon said it was that morning through the work of the Holy Spirit that he looked unto Jesus for his salvation. And this morning, if you're to be saved, then you must look unto Jesus for your salvation and receive him by faith. If you are saved this morning, then you must continually walk with Jesus. By how? By looking unto Jesus, the source of your salvation. There is life in a look. Have you beheld that divine sufferer? Have your eyes been opened to him dying on the cross that he might bring you to God? Mary, the mother of Christ, needed to behold him, and so do you. Then look to Christ and be saved. But I want you to think about this question in closing. Give me about two minutes and listen to this. Why did Jesus wait until he was on the cross to commission the care of his mother. Just 24 hours prior to, his, to this event, Jesus had been in the upper room eating with his disciples, and it is said in Scripture that John was at the right hand of Jesus through the entirety of this meal. And, and believe me, folks, Jews don't eat meals like we do. Some of us sit down, and we can be done with our meal in a matter of minutes, some seconds. In Jewish culture, they ate for hours. Slow eaters, meticulous eaters, enjoying their food and their meal together. And so John and Jesus had been beside each other in the upper room. And yet, Jesus says nothing to John about the care of his mother. Had, did Jesus have a bout of dementia? Did, did, did he have what, what's now called a Joe Biden moment where he just forgets what he's 
saying or what he's thinking about. I did see a little clip where uh, Pres- uh, candidate Biden is talking about um, the Constitution. Y'all probably seen the little video and he's talking and he's trying to recite parts of the Constitution and all of a sudden he gets all twisted up. He says, y'all know the thing that I'm talking about, right? Y'all wonder why I use sermon notes. That's about what my sermon would sound like if I didn't have sermon notes. Why did he wait to that moment? Everything Jesus does is intentional, right? This moment is intentional. Jesus entrusts Mary to John's care because Jesus knew that no one would love her like him. Why? Because Jesus, John loved Jesus with no doubt. And because of that, Jesus knew that John would love his mother with no doubt. If John risked his life by bearing By being at the cross, no doubt would he lay down his life for Mary. And let me throw this last interesting comment out to you. It is interesting that of 12 disciples, 11 died martyrs' death. Only one died a natural death. John, the one whom Mary was entrusted to. Oh, Jesus knows what he's doing. Why would he entrust her to Peter when Peter was only just about a decade away from being dead himself. Jesus was going to ensure that the man that he entrusted his mother to would outlive his mother. But there's something going on much deeper. As valid as my conclusions are concerning Jesus' timing in his commissioning Mary's care to John, there remains a deeper reality. So here's my final two sentences. Jesus wants us to know that not only does he care for our salvation, but for our everyday life. Dear Christian, when your next bout of anxiety strikes, look to the cross and remember Jesus is more than your Savior. He is your sustainer. Can I say that to you one more time? Does anybody need to hear that this morning? Maybe I should just drive up to Nashville and Find an outdoor facility to preach at. Because I believe there's some people up there this morning that need to hear that Jesus is not just your Savior. He is that, but He is so much more. He is our sustainer. And the next time you get anxious, you look at the cross, you look at Jesus and His conversation with Mary, and you remember He is my Savior, but He is more than that. He is my sustainer. Heavenly Father, this morning as we conclude this service, as we sing this final song, I pray that we would realize in a new and a fresh way that you are more than just our Savior. You are our sustainer. You sustain our salvation in the picture of John. And you paint for us a portrait in your, in your life, uh, in your moments on that cross, that there is nothing that should ever come in the way of our care for those who have a fleshly attachment to us, a fleshly claim on our life. That we are to honor our father and mother 
as long as they live on this earth. Father, if we have been slack or lack in that, if we have put off the care and the honoring of our parents because we're too busy on our job and there's, there, there's too much to do and not enough day to do it in, there's, there's too many ball games to get to or too many activities that we're involved in that we just can't break away and, and get there and be there. Father, rebuke us this morning for that and then stir our hearts to be a people that are not infidels, but people who are truly your people, who truly love you, and if we truly love you, then we will truly love the way that you love. And we see that in a very strong way in the relationship between Mary and Jesus. Help us to do that so that we might bring honor and glory to your name and that we would be like you and be obedient in all things, especially the fifth commandment. Help us, Lord Jesus as we sing in Christ's name.